Uh, this morning, I'm also excited to share. I, uh, this is the longest break, three weeks break in preaching. It's pretty much the longest preaching break I've had in like 10 years. Um, I, I love to share. I love to speak about Jesus. And, uh, and I love to, to, to encourage people from the Bible. I love to see people strengthened from the Word. And, uh, and we've been doing a long series since we started Anchor Church in the book of Acts. And uh, this morning is a very special morning because we're actually concluding the series this morning. Uh, the last message we had on Acts was, uh, the one that was shared by our friend Phil, Phil Smethurst, who uh, spoke on, therefore, King Agrippa, I have been faithful to the heavenly call. I've kept walking it out. I've, I, whatever came my way, I, kept, I remained faithful to the heavenly vision. And uh, he encouraged us as a church that no matter what happens, we remain faithful to the heavenly vision. We remain faithful to what God called us to be as a church. And that's not just a group of people that come together so that they can high five each other on a Sunday. As awesome as that is, God has called us to play our part in this great city, in his great story of redemption, in reaching people that he loves. There is a, a wealth out there, the greatest wealth that exists on the face of the earth today, which is people. And God loves people, and He is sending people to reach people, and, uh, and He wants to send people like us. What I love about the book of Acts, I've said this from the beginning of the series, is that God did not pick the best, the most educated, the, mo the, the, the most religious, the, the most well-trained uh, people to go out. He picked people from every walk of life. He picked the riffraff. He picked them up from the docks, the fishermen, the failures, the, uh, the broken, the hurting, and He said, come. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's an incredible journey that Jesus takes us on when we say yes to the gospel, when our hearts are touched by the gospel and he says, won't you come with me and I will show you how I will use you in the future. I love it when, Paul send, when, when, when God sends Ananias to pray for Paul. He says, go and pray for him because I will show him how much there is in the gospel, how much he will go through suffering for the gospel and he'll, he'll hurt at times and he'll be under pressure at times, but he is gonna go and he is going to reach more people than he can imagine. Even here today, thousands of years later, we're still reading the letters of Paul. Letters, he, most of them he penned in a prison cell uh, awaiting trial. And so there is a great story that we get to be a part of as, uh, uh, as Christians, as believers. And so Acts has 28 chapters. I've said this before, Acts didn't end in, with chapter 28. We're living it. It's today's chapter 29. Uh, and we continue living out the book of Acts um, today. Every single one of us, we're a part of that story. But we're going to go to the, the final chapter in the book of Acts this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please go with me to Acts chapter number 28. In verse 1, Paul has a crazy story. Uh, honestly, if they had to make a, a movie of Paul's journeys, uh, a lot of us would read it and go, it just sounds, it would be like, how many of you have seen Mad Max, the movie Mad Max? The action just never, it's almost too much action. You're like, can we have a pause in the middle of the movie and just go and, and just catch our breath somewhere? Because the action is just ridiculous. And it's kind of what the book of Acts is like. Paul is just on this incredible journey and, and he faces every kind of challenge, every kind of temptation, every kind of hardship. And he just keeps soldiering on because he believes in what God has called him to do. And so I'm gonna read uh, Acts 28, uh, verse one to six. And it says, he, he's writing here, he says, after we, uh, sorry, it's Luke writing. He says, after we were brought safely through, Luke was traveling with Paul at the time. He says, we then learned that the island was called Malta. Now, uh, what he's basically talking about there is for three days, these guys have been pushed across the sea by an incredibly uh, powerful storm. 
When your boat gets pushed sideways through the ocean for three days, you know you're in trouble. And eventually you're probably going to hit something. And that's what happened. They hit something and they're like, what have we hit? Where have we landed? And that's why we, when we finally got through the storm, we were brought safely through. We learned that the island that we actually hit was called Malta. So this massive shipwreck that happens. And it says then verse 2, the native people showed us unusual kindness, the people there on that island. For they kindled the fire and welcomed us all. Because it had began to rain and was cold. So not only were they pushed across the sea for three days, not only did they have a shipwreck and wash out on the shore, uh, you know, now they're out there and it's raining and it's cold, just miserable conditions. Verse three says, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on, a fi- on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, I mean, come on, the guy just survived the shipwreck. He's just trying to make himself a fire. It's cold and it's wet. And a viper comes out and it bites him on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, so the snake didn't just kind of bite, it's hanging, you know. He's like, get off, you know. Uh, When it's hanging on his hand, the native people saw the creature. They said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, okay, this guy's a god, all right? (laughs) First, they were like, no, 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 no. This guy, justice has it out for him. You know, the whole universe is conspiring against him. He survives the shipwreck only to get bitten by a deadly viper moments later. They're waiting for him to drop dead. And when they see no harm come, uh, they decide, okay, maybe not. Maybe he actually is a god. I also want to read uh, 2 Corinthians 4. And verse 7 this morning, if you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. Again, Paul writing here, he says, but we have this treasure. What treasure is he talking about? He's talking about the treasure of the gospel, the message of what Jesus has done to save sinners like us. We have this treasure in jars of clay, earthen vessels, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 11, which I don't have up on the screen, but it says, for we who, uh, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Powerful verses, and I don't want to share and encourage you with this this morning um, in this message called Whatever It Takes, but let's just, uh, let's just pray together this morning. Jesus, we just humble ourselves before your word this morning, God. Father, we know that without you speaking, all of our talking is simply uh, vanity, Lord God. We, we don't want to hear just a clever message this morning, God. We want to experience your spirit. We want to experience your presence. We want to hear your, 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 the voice of your spirit booming inside of our hearts and minds, encouraging, strengthening, and enlightening us to the truth of your word, God. I pray, Father, that, that, that closed minds and closed hearts would be opened up this morning, God, and those that are struggling would be encouraged, Lord God, that hope would be imparted, God, and that, and that the dead would be raised to life. We thank you, Father, that these are the things that you do through your power, by your spirit, and by your grace. And we give you all the glory for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. 
So as we can see here, Paul is having a pretty bad day. I don't know how many of you have had a bad day. We, we, we go through these days sometimes, and some of them are worse than others, but where it just seems like one thing after the next uh, is going wrong. There's one challenge, one hardship, one uh, difficulty after the next, and your day seems to kind of spiral out of control. I've realized that oftentimes it starts with small things like dropping your toast or spilling your coffee, or I remember one time uh, putting on jeans. I, I, they were skinny jeans, but I, but I love them, and, uh, and I got into the car, and as I got into the car, this may have happened to you, I just heard a massive rip, and, uh, and I looked down, and my jeans were destroyed. Uh, it's because of the wash. It's not because I picked up weight. It was because the wash shrunk them. Um, and, uh, and normally when those kinds of things happen, uh, it's probably safer just to go get back into bed. That's kind of, we should have like a check out, phone your boss. Hey, I've dropped my, I've dropped my toast. I've spilled my coffee, my jeans ripped. There's no ways I'm coming to work today because uh, I, could, I could burn the building down. You know, anything could happen at this point. So we all have these bad days. I was actually, I was watching the golf yesterday. It's the PGA Championship, one of the four majors at the moment. And uh, there's a guy called John Daly. Now, uh, John Daly's been on tour for years. He's a well-known player. And John Daly is playing a par three next to Lake Michigan, uh, where they're playing at the moment at Whistling Straits. And he lines up, and, and John Daly must have put 10,000 golf balls on a par three onto the green uh, you know, in his career. It's the simplest thing uh, when you're a professional golfer. But John Daly was having a bad day yesterday. And uh, he, he lines up. And he hits the ball, and, and, and the green is over there, but it goes nowhere near the green. It goes into that direction. It just goes straight that way, and he hits it into the water. Now, that's happened before with golfers. They'll hit one bad shot, so he goes, I can't believe I've just done that. I'm throwing my round away. So he puts the ball down again, and he hits it straight into the water again. He's a professional golfer. So he's like, what is going on? He puts another ball down and he hits it and it goes straight into the water again. He, and the water's not even close. It's far, it's over there. And he just keeps hitting it in the water. And I think three or four balls hit straight into the water. So eventually he puts it down and he almost just puts it in the opposite direction. Doesn't matter where it is. Just don't let it be in the water. And then as he's walking off, he throws his club into the water. And, uh, so now, and he actually threw it far enough. He's a big guy. He threw it far enough to actually reach the water. And so he has at least four balls and a club in the bottom of the water there. And, and, and that's what a bad day looks like. He ended up shooting 10 on that par three. And uh, I felt so sorry for him. And we've all had days like that uh, where things just seem to keep going wrong. And, and, and with Paul, uh, here in the final chapter of Acts, He's having one of those bad days. He's already been a prisoner for weeks on end. Uh, he appealed because he was a Roman citizen uh, to go before Caesar to uh, be taken to Rome. And that's his right. If you don't want to be tried in one of the, the counties, you can be taken to Rome uh, and have your trial there. So he's been a prisoner. He gets onto the ship and he knew it from the beginning. God had given him a word of knowledge and he says, hey, I perceive that this journey is going to end in destruction, that there's going to be a shipwreck. And they're like, whatever, man, they get on the, on the boat and this massive storm arises. He's been driven across the sea for days in this storm. I mean, they've been throwing things overboard. They've been doing everything to stay alive. He gets shipwrecked on an island. It's rainy and it's cold and it's, and it's just miserable. All he's trying to do is he found some friendly folk and all he wants to do is just build a little fire and just catch his breath after three days in the storm. And, uh, and as he's doing this, uh, a snake comes out of the wood and bites him on the hand and doesn't just bite him, but fastens. I think maybe 
maybe there's a chance that the snake was just, hey, I don't actually want to bite you here, but I also don't want to burn to death. So, you know, that's why he held on, you know, it's because the snake doesn't have arms. If he had arms, he would have just held on to Paul's arm, but he was like, I need to get out of this fire. Um, maybe, maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But, um, but the snake bites him and the guy's sitting there looking at Paul going, this guy must be a murderer. If, if things are going wrong in his life to this extent, he must have done some serious, serious stuff uh, to bring that upon him. And that is, uh, that's often a thought, maybe not in that same way, but that's often a thought that we have when, when, when we face difficult days. What have I done? Has God abandoned me? Did I deserve this? And even, even other people watching goes, uh-huh, yeah, that must be because of what they did. That must be, if the entire universe is conspiring against them, giving them the worst day known to man, then surely they deserve it. And one of the biggest things that happen when we go through difficult times is that we begin to feel condemned. There's a reason why I'm suffering. I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve good things. I don't deserve to be loved. I don't deserve to have a good day. All that comes my way is one hardship after the next. But as we see, Paul doesn't die from this bite. In fact, he, the bite has no effect on him. He just shakes it off. Just turn to your neighbor quickly and say, shake it off. And if you thought about Taylor Swift right now, stop it. Stop singing that song to yourself in your head right now. You see, for Paul, this wasn't the first time he had faced these kinds of hardships. Paul has been on a very long journey. And on this journey, he has face these kinds of hardships regularly. We see how he writes in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24. He says, he, he just mentions some of the stuff that he's been through. And he goes, five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Now, the 40 lashes less one is the same thing they gave Jesus. It was called one from death because they believed with the kind of lashes that they gave under the Roman uh, punishment in those days that no man could survive 40 lashes. And so they would take you to the edge of death with 39. Paul was taken to the edge of death through these lashings five times. I can just imagine what his back looked like uh, and what his body looked like after having been beaten in that way. He says, five times at the hands of the Jews, I received the 40 lashes less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, we read about that in, in Lystra when he got stoned for preaching the gospel. They thought he was dead. They dragged his body outside of the city. The, the believers gathered around him and he got up and he went straight back and preached the gospel. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. Three times. It's not his first shipwreck. Paul's sitting there as this boat's being driven across the sea. Guys, I've, been, I've, I've seen this movie. I know how this goes. Just sit tight. Let me tell you what to do. I've been here. Right? Three times I've, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea <laughs> on a little plank. You know, you think of the Titanic. Jack, you know, this is, <laughs> this, is, this is Paul hanging on a little piece of driftwood for a night and a day, and he survived it. He says, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and, a, and apart from these things, from other things, 
there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Apart from all these things that I'm facing, I'm still carrying the anxiety of my love for the church, caring for the church. I'm facing these hardships. I'm going through it all. And Paul writes this, and, 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 and I'll get to how Paul kind of concludes with, with uh, why he just keeps on going. But one reality that I've realized um, of late and has just obviously be, become such, uh, I've become so aware of, is that when we want to do what God has called us to do, we do not go unopposed. It's not as if Satan gives up rolls out a red carpet and says, well, you know what? You want to live your life right. And it's, and, 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 and it's with everything that you want to do in your life. It's, it's you following the call of God for your life. It's you deciding that you're going to uh, be a good husband and you deciding that you're going to be a good father and you decide, deciding that you're going to be uh, an employee that works with integrity and that you're going to work on your career and that you're going to live a life that's honorable and that you want to serve God and you want to honor God and you want to walk with God. When we decide to do those kinds of things, the devil does not not steps aside and go, oh sure, please go ahead and do it. Please be a testimony to the world. Please show uh, how much God has changed you. Please just go ahead and do it. He does not leave us unhindered or unopposed. Scripture talks about strategies. He sits down and he strategizes over our lives how he can, he can swipe our feet out from under us. When you watch rugby, oftentimes there are guys running to the try line and they've got a big smile on their faces. Because they're convinced that they've got it made. And as they're almost there, oftentimes in a kind of a last ditch effort, you'll find a defender diving and just swinging the arm. And, and it's one of the most uncomfortable things to happen if you get ankle tapped while you're running because your one leg trips your other leg. You trip yourself over because of that influence. And so many times when we're trying to run the race that God has set before us as Christians, the devil dives out. And he sees if he can ankle tap us and call us to fall, cause us to fall. And it's not that we don't fall. It's not that we don't drop the ball. It's not that we don't uh, feel the hurt of that moment. We do. We often do fall and we often do fail on the road. Satan always plays dirty. Uh, there was a rugby game last night uh, against Argentina and, uh, and, and, and I... It's, it's the worst matchup for me to watch ever is the Springboks playing Argentina in Argentina because the, the Argentinian side is, the, in my opinion, the dirtiest side in world rugby. The guys are always playing things off the ball. They're always wanting to, to create a fight. They're always uh, playing dirty, and, it, and, it's, and, it, and it's frustrating. And if the devil was a rugby team, he would be Argentina, <laughs> right? He would be the captain of the Argentinian side, because they're always playing dirty. He doesn't hit us where we're strong. He doesn't go for the areas that he knows are not a temptation to you. What the devil will do is that he will target you in your area of weakness. And he will target your, your family and he will target your, your reputation and he'll, he'll target the things that you are passionate about. He will hurt you often uh, in, in, in dirty and, and you know, ways that are, that are dishonest. Our families, our marriages, our minds, our hearts. And so scripture actually calls us to be vigilant, to be aware of his strategies. Paul writes in Ephesians 6 and he says, I do not want you to be unaware of Satan's strategies, of how he works and how he comes against us. In 1 Peter 5, 
Peter writes and he says, 1 Peter 5 verse 8, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. How do you resist him? By, by, you see, we, and this is something that's so important. I'm just gonna pause there for a moment. We'll read that further on that scripture right now. But this is so important because people think that how you resist the devil is by focusing on the devil. No, we know that the devil has strategies, but how we resist him is by focusing on Jesus. It's by standing firm in our faith. It's in becoming unwavering and uncompromising in the gospel and in who we believe that God has called us and made us to be. So we're not afraid. We don't deal in fear. We don't deal in worry. We don't deal in in this kind of anxiety. We simply keep our eyes on Jesus. We stand firm in the faith. That's how we resist. So verse nine says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Phil Smithers told us the other day that, that these things are historic to our cause. The church has always suffered violence. The church has always suffered persecution. The people of God have always been under these kinds of suffering from the beginning. But he says in verse 10, and this is the promise that brings so much hope. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So the suffering does not destroy us. The hardship doesn't break us. The the attacks, even though we might get tripped up and we fall, the game is not over. And we have not lost. We do not lose because we already have the victory in Christ. And so we can approach suffering. And this is is probably one of the things that is the most unique about our faith is that we can approach suffering and sorrow in a hopeful way. Paul even writes about death. And he says, we do not sorrow like those who are without hope. Because we know that we have eternal life. We know that we have a strength that is not our own. We know that we walk with God. You see, what the devil wants to do is rob us of our confidence. The book of Hebrews says, do not give up your confidence because in it is a great reward. Do not lose your confidence. My friend Dylan Yonich, I went to a place that he spoke at on Friday from Link Church. And he said this, he said, the devil will attack your circumstance, but what he really wants is your confidence. What he really wants is to bring you to a place where you feel ashamed, where you feel condemned, where you feel as if God has abandoned you. He wants to rob you of your confidence. A lot of people have been called to do the things that God has called them to do. They, they, they feel that calling, but at the same time, they never step out and walk in it because they feel too ashamed to do it. They feel like they lack too much, that they fall too short to do the things that God has called them to do. And this is why the the Bible speaks about the devil and it speaks about someone who is the accuser of the brethren, constantly accusing you, constantly accusing you, constantly telling you that you're not good enough, constantly telling you that you'll never get over this, constantly telling you that that this thing will break you and that this thing will end you and that everybody uh, has abandoned you and and that you're out on your own and that even God is going, look, okay, there's nothing I can do in this situation. That is the work of the devil, that is how he attacks us, is by robbing us and accusing us and speaking condemnation to our hearts. 
making us feel the shame and the discouragement so that he can neutralize our effectiveness. And you know what happens when condemnation takes root in your heart? Is that we begin to live according to the condemned self, rather according to the truth of who we are in Christ. So all of a sudden, when you have when people are struggling with sin, often the problem, and I, I would say always the problem, is that they are feeling condemned and cut off from God. And so, so much of the Bible, the whole Bible is trying to constantly tell us not how much we lack, but how much we have in Christ. It's not trying to show us a bunch of things about us that we need to go and change in our own strength. It's trying to show us who Christ has created us to be, our identity. This is an identity issue. And if you can rob somebody of their identity, you will rob them of their purpose. God wants you and me and every single one of us in his church to know who we are, to know who we are. How do we resist the devil? By standing firm in our faith. We know who we are. We know what we have been called for. We know what the finished work of Christ has done in our lives. We know where we stand with God. Those things are not in doubt. So do we trip? Do we fall? Do we suffer hardship? Do we experience pain? Do we experience hurt? Yes, but it doesn't change who we are. And this book makes it very clear. That gives us strength. It gives us courage. It makes us brave. Because we know who we are in Christ. So we need to deal with the root of condemnation in our lives. Understand that we're loved by God and forgiven by God. That we know that our sins are forgiven and, and, and we know the heart of the Father. This is where the gospel speaks directly into our situation. The gospel says you are righteous. You are called. You know the truth. You belong to God. And when, when we look at the armor of God in, in Ephesians 6, uh, I don't know if you've ever read that passage where it says you need to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth, and, and uh, the shield of faith, and the, you know, the sword of the Spirit, and you know, the, the whole armor of God. And you read those things, and, and, and people will tell you, put on the armor of God. <laughs> and I've literally done it. I mean, I've been a Christian for a while. I've literally been like, okay, Jesus, I'm putting now on the helmet of salvation. I'm not sure how it goes on, but yeah, there's a chin strap, I guess. So I'm, I'm fastening the chin strap. Uh, you know, you, you kind of imagine you walking with this. But actually, if you think about the armor of God, where it says that God wants you to have faith in the fact that you are righteous, the breastplate of righteousness. Your organs, your life is protected because you know that you've got a breastplate of righteousness on. It comes from believing in what Jesus has done. You, you, you understand that you are called, that God has, has prepped your feet with the, the preparation of the gospel of peace, that he has got something for you to go and do. So by believing that you're called, you've already put those shoes on, that you know the truth, the belt that holds all the armor together, that you have that belt on, and that the truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel holds everything together. You already know that when your faith is in Jesus. You know that, that you belong to God, that you're saved. You've got that helmet over your mind so that the devil can't attack your thoughts and tell you that you're not good enough and that God doesn't love you and that God has abandoned you because you, you believe in what he has done so your, your helmet is already in place. And then it says that you take up the shield of faith with which, with which you are able to quench every fiery dart of the enemy. 
everything that Satan would shoot at you, you go, but I believe in what Jesus has done for me. The gospel, in other words, equips us fully to handle and to move through whatever the devil can throw at us and whatever hardships there can be in life. The key here, and, it, and this is a very liberating thing, is for us to understand that we are not the ones who need to be strong, but that we simply need to believe in how strong the God is who lives within us. We're not gonna get through life based on our strength. Our strength will fail us a thousand times. And we know that. If you've been on this journey any amount of time, you would know that your strength is not something you can depend on. Your commitment to God is not something you can depend on. Your feelings of love towards God, your faith even, is it, 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 those are not things. It, we simply believe in Jesus and in His sufficiency and in the fact that He holds us as a father would hold a child and our, our, our sufficiency is from Him. So we do suffer the hurt of our circumstances. We do suffer the, the attacks of the, of the enemy. We do feel the pressure of these things coming against us. And oftentimes I've wished that I was stronger. I wish I was just stronger. But what I realize is that God doesn't want me to be stronger. He wants me to be weaker so that I can trust in his strength. And this is where the scripture says is that we carry this treasure, this treasure of the gospel, this strength, this, this boldness, this courage, this, this message. We carry it, but we carry it in jars of clay. I don't know if you've ever owned a jar of clay, but it is something that can be broken so easily. That often has cracks and often has holes and often has, has, uh, has, has uh, defects in it. And essentially what the scripture is saying is that God wants broken people carrying the solidity of the gospel. So that nobody can look at us and say, oh, it's because they're strong people. Oh, it's because they're so holy. Oh, it's because they're so good. Oh, it's because they have done so well. That's why God blesses them. But so that everybody can see this is how broken we are, yet this is the treasure we carry. You see, if we were perfect, people would look at us. But when we're broken, people can see Jesus. And that's what we want people to see. That's the hope. We're broken people, all of us. We're imperfect people, all of us. But we carry a hope that is stronger than anything that we can imagine. It says in that verse, so that people would know that the surpassing power the surpassing power, the power that goes beyond any other challenge or issue or, or, or circumstance, the surpassing power is in God, not in us. That's what we want people to know. So if people come to Anchor Church, if you're a visitor here this morning, we want you to know that the power that is here today is not us. It's only in God. It's in His sufficiency and in His grace and in His love. That this strength is not ours, but it's His. That's why we can be afflicted, but not crushed. We can take the hits, we can feel the pain, we can, we can know that we're hurt, but we're not crushed. I had, a, I, I, I had this illustration this morning of this can of Coke, that I can take this can, and if this can was empty, you would know that I could crush it easily. I would be able to crush it and, and step on it and, and just completely flatten and, 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 and diminish 
this can and its function. I could completely neutralize. Nobody would ever be able to use that can again if this was empty. But here I have a full can of Coke. And it doesn't matter how much pressure I put on this can right now. It doesn't matter how hard pressed it is. It doesn't matter what dents and what hits it takes. The fact of the matter is, is that it cannot be crushed because of what's inside of it. I can do everything to try and crush it, but what's inside of it keeps it strong. So it can be afflicted, but it cannot be crushed. Not with what's inside of it. And that's how it is with our lives. We can be afflicted. We can take hits. We can feel the pressure. But what's inside of us cannot be destroyed. Its, its power is surpassing. We can be perplexed, overwhelmed at times, overwhelmed by life, confused, have many questions about why things are going on. But we do not despair. We do not lose hope even though we don't understand. Even though things can feel overwhelming, we don't lose hope. We can be persecuted, receive those attacks from the devil and from the world and from other believers, but God never leaves us. It says we persecuted but not forsaken. Even when we face the hardships, God doesn't walk away in those moments. We can be struck down but not destroyed because we have Jesus on the inside of us. Jesus spoke to Peter and he knew that Peter was gonna fail. I've, I've done this study. What does failure look like in the New Testament, in the Bible? What is failure? And Jesus knew that Peter, even though he's coming out with this bravado of no matter what happens, Jesus, I'll stick with you. I'll never leave your side. I mean, we've made those promises, right? Jesus, I promise you. Normally it's on camp or at an amazing church. He's like, I follow you. I love you. I just, and Jesus goes, yes. But he already knows that there are areas that we're gonna fail in. And so he tells Peter, hey, Peter, I know you're very confident right now in your own commitment, but I wanna tell you before the morning, you're gonna deny me three times. And he's like, no ways, never, never. So convinced in his own strength that he can't fail. And then it happens, he fails. But you know, Jesus said something to him at the last supper, knowing that he was gonna fail. He said this, he said, Peter, I pray that your faith may not fail you. I pray, I'm praying for you, Peter. He says, he says this, he says, Peter, the enemy has asked for you. He knows the call of God on your life and he has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Powerful image of, of Satan coming up and saying, I want to take Peter out. I want to sift him as wheat. I want to, I want to throw him into the wind so that his life is blown away and has no more effect. But Jesus says, but Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. You see, the only way we can truly fail as Christians is when we stop believing who we are in Christ, when our faith fails us. Doesn't matter what other failures we go through, it's only when our faith fails us that we're in trouble. So there's such a powerful image there. We know that Peter does fail. And then Jesus meets him again on the shore just a few days later and he goes, hey, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. And he goes, then go and do what I've called you to do. And just to make sure, because he denied Jesus three times, he says it again. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He goes, then go and feed my sheep. And then a third time, complete redemption of the failure. He says, Peter, do you love me? He goes, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, then go and do what I've called you to do. Don't let your confidence be robbed. Don't let your, your, your calling be brought into doubt ever. 
I love the fact that Jesus himself was acquainted with grief. The Bible tells us that he was one who, who knew what it was to be rejected and to sorrow and to be acquainted with grief. And, 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 and when I go through pain, times of hardship and pain, I am so grateful that I have a God who understands those things. I wanted to read you this quote by John Stott, great theologian. He said, I could never myself believe in a God or believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could you worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, uh, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in light of his. There is still a question, he says, there's still a question mark against human suffering, but over it, we boldly stamp another mark, the cross, which symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in such a world as ours. When we suffer pain, we know that we serve a God who wasn't immune to it, but suffered for us. He knows and he is compassionate. So this is our testimony, that we keep getting up. That no matter what happens, no matter who betrays us, we keep forgiving. No matter how difficult it is, we keep loving. No matter how tired we are, we keep running. So that we can get to that place where Paul got to at the end of his life where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have, ran, I have run the race and I have finished strong. I keep going. I believe that as a church, and Raina, you can come up and play for us right now, but I believe as a church, God is calling us to remain faithful to the heavenly vision. God is calling us to keep fighting for people. We're not just fighting for the sake of fighting. We are fighting for the lives of people who are lost and broken and hurting. We want them to know the hope that is in Jesus. And God has called us to power through, not by our power, but by His. To hold on to Him and to trust Him through every storm. To not allow the devil to stop us or to discourage us or to rob us of the call that He has placed on our lives. See, it's amazing that as Paul was going about preaching the gospel, as he was on his way to Rome, as he was doing the work of building a fire, that it's in that moment that the serpent jumped out and bit him. And while that happens, everybody sits there and judges. They judge him. It's so often as we are going about what God has called us to do that the devil will jump out at us. And others will see it and say, well, you see, God has abandoned you. You see, where is your God now? You see, how is God gonna help you? But you know what Paul does? He keeps his faith. He never doubts the presence of God and he shakes that serpent off into the fire and he just keeps going. And people recognize that there was something supernatural about that. They looked at Paul and said, he must be a God. We know that Paul wasn't a God. 
but they recognized that the power that is with Paul is not a human power. It is a supernatural power. So whatever has been coming against your life, whatever has been coming against this church, we're just going to keep declaring what we have seen God do. And my hope is that we can keep doing it in an authentic way, in an, in an effective way, and that we can keep showing people the hope of Jesus. And I believe that no matter what the devil throws at us, his venom will have no effect. That we will not be crushed, that we will not be destroyed, that we will not give up, but instead that we will fulfill the call that God has on Anchor Church and on every one of our lives. And I wanna tell you that as we journey forward, our role is not just to get you to come here on a Sunday and to hear an inspiring message, but our role and, and, and the journey that we wanna walk with each one of you is to help you discover your part in this story, to help you discover what your talents are and what, what your giftings are and what God has put in your life and what your calling is and help you to walk faithfully in that for the rest of your life. That's what we wanna do as a church. That's why we're here. That's why we create the space for us to walk it out and to remain faithful to our call. As a community, as a church, as individuals, we are gonna do whatever it takes to fulfill the call of God on us and to show this dying and hurting world how good Jesus truly is. Amen? Amen. Let's just uh, pray together this morning.